We officially have three weeks left in this year. It's blowing my mind. Today is actually my oldest birthday. He's uh, turning 10 today, which is equally blowing my mind. Um, but I think, you know, if you have not gotten ready and you are not ready for 2023, get it done because it's right around the corner. And I think this episode is perfect for, you know, getting your head in a good space to jump into any last minute planning or accomplishments that you want to get done or tasks or whatever, what have you for the rest of this year. So right now we are jumping in with the fantastic Tara McMullen. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneurs, and welcome to today's show. I am joined by Tara McMullen, and you are in for a treat with this conversation, folks. Buckle up. She is a writer, a podcaster, and producer for over 13 years. She's studied small business owners, how they live, how they work, what influences them, and what they hope for the future. She's the host of the What Works podcast, which is all about, which I absolutely love this topic, navigating the 21st century economy with your humanity intact. She's the co-founder of Yellow House Media, which is a boutique podcast production company. And her work has been featured in Fast Company, The Startup, The Muse, and The Huffington Post. Her first book, which go buy it, write this down, folks, go get it right now, is called What Works, a Comprehensive Framework to Change the Way We Approach Goal Setting. And it just came out in November, and I cannot state this enough. You are going to love it. So Tara, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Michelle. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. So we were talking about this before, and I had a set of questions set up for your for your interview. And then I was like, oh shit, I read your book and I dove in. And then I was like, now I have 50 million others. So (laughs) I'm just going to go right for it here. And I'm going to, you know, take the leap off of one of the quotes that you had early in your book. You know, there's so many great points from when you talk about how you Googled how to change your personality to describing that fundamental brokenness that you feel. I think things that we can really relate to. But this one quote hit me hard and I want you to kind of expand upon it, especially because it can tie right into resilience and a lot of what we're all feeling. So, and here's the quote, folks. Every win was a small indication that things would work out and that I'd be okay. Every loss was a devastating reminder that I could lose everything and probably would. So please, my dear, go into a little bit more depth around that quote, because I think I said to you earlier, everyone's felt that. And if they had, they said they haven't, they're lying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up and still am in, in every single way, uh, a very anxious overachiever, like a lot of people, you know, the, the straight A student, the, you know, have to make all the sports teams have to get first chair in band has to be the drum major in marching band, like all of the things that I could excel at, I wanted to be at the top. Right. Um, and I think that 
and I think this is a common experience as well, is that, you know, you can hold on to that part of your identity and that way of kind of showing up in the world for a period of time. But for most of us, as the pool gets bigger and we become a smaller and smaller fish, it becomes more and more challenging to keep racking up those wins. Yeah. And if you've based your whole identity and sort of mental health schema on those wins, that's a real problem. And so that was exactly my experience is that as long as I could keep racking up the wins, I was okay with myself. I knew who I was. I had an identity, but having an identity that's based on always winning, it's not really having an identity at all, right? right? Because that's not sustainable. Even for LeBron James, it is not sustainable. There are going to be losses. There are going to be failures. There's going to be just mild setbacks. Yeah. And if those mild setbacks are enough to throw me into a depression cycle or enough to, you know, sit in the pit of my stomach for weeks on end, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I'm, I hate to admit this, but I think it took me until I was about 35 to, to really realize just how profound uh, this was in my, in my life and in, in my sense of identity and how much work I needed to do to unpack, deconstruct that, and then find a way to relate to myself and to the rest of the world in a more sustainable way, in a way where there was more substance even yeah. Yeah. than just accolades or merit badges or trophies. Um, and, you know, one of the sort of the inspirations behind the book is how many conversations I had with people who had had very similar experiences. Um, I have a close circle of friends who have basically have the exact same experience. Like we could yeah. check off on a list. Sure. The, yeah. The things that we aimed for and achieved um, or didn't and felt horrible about and at the same time, like I've heard from so many people, I've not from so many maybe, but I've heard certainly from people who cannot comprehend living that way and are terrified wow. of living that way. Um, and so they're actively working against that. And I think probably they end up being happier uh, without examining that closely. But at the same time, there's, there's, that throws its own obstacles yes. in the way, right? So, you know, maybe they're not stretching themselves as far as, as they could or even that they'd like to because they don't want to be like that person who is me, who maybe is you, who is my friends, who are those anxious overachievers. Um, and so, you know, kind of starting to recognize that dichotomy of personality types and how um, our sort of, understanding of what goals are, what success is, what we're aiming for in life. Um, that's when I started to really be able to pick apart, okay, this is, this is how I'm experiencing the world. Maybe here are some experiments that I could do to experience the world differently so that my identity wasn't based on the wins and my sense of impending doom was lessened as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at you because, because I think it, because it yeah. is, right? like, 
like you said, like, you know, there, there is a real threatening feeling, right. And whether you want to put it to fight or flight or whatever you want to call it, but when you're wired that, that way, there is that feeling, but I love the fact that you're talking about the dichotomy on the other side of that, of if I just don't look at it, if mm-hmm. I live almost this like unexamined life, mm-hmm. then I won't have to be at that extreme, but then you're fall to the other extreme, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, kind of going back to this idea of impending doom and feeling like it's all on the line. Um, One of my close friends who has the same exact personality and we have all the same, you know, she, she always tells a story about um, the last time she went to move, she found all of her report cards from every year of school, which she had laminated and kept (laughs) and she is 40 years old. Um, and so, you know, kind of recognizing like, all right, I can let go of these now. I don't have to have these physical artifacts of, of my success. Um, but anyhow, she posed a question to a group, um, that I was leading that kind of blew my mind and blew all of our minds that were there, which was simply what does growth without striving look like? And I think it's, it is, such an important question. I mean, it's really one of the foundational questions of the book, but also it's not just what does growth look like, but to to understand what does growth without striving look like, we have to understand what striving is. And striving is just a word, right? It's just a symbol for a concept and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But when I'm talking about striving, it is that sense of impending doom, right? Striving is that experience of working toward a goal, feeling like everything is on the line. If I don't do this, it is proof that I'm not good enough, that I'm not going to make it, that I'm not safe, that I'm not well. And that is a huge burden, to bear. And one, I think that we're so accustomed to, I'm so accustomed to that. I didn't notice it was there for the first uh, seven eighths of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I hear it a lot as a coach, I hear it a lot from entrepreneurs, right? Because they, their value can be so tied up in the success of their business, right? And it's impossible for your business to be successful 100% of the time, every single year over year, all the things, right? So I feel like that is a very tough lesson for some of the entrepreneurs out there to learn is that you will be okay. That impending doom needs to at some point stop or else your business will not grow, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the thing about being an entrepreneur is that the signs of success are so quantified, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we can pull up the PL, we can pull up our bank account, we can pull up our sales reports, and we can literally go line item by line item and chalk up all those successes. We don't have to wait for the next Girl Scout meeting where we get the next merit badge, right? It's right there all the time. (laughs) All of those metrics of success are literally numbers in a spreadsheet. And that, so that makes this component of entrepreneurship really sort of extra fraught and extra heavy. Um, But that same sort of a quantifiable aspect of success is present for anyone in the yes. 21st century economy, yes. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. We see everything through the lens of the market. And so yeah. even when we're not looking at our PNL, 
there's still a sort of cost benefit analysis. There's still sort of a, a valuation of worth based on the numbers that we can find or the numbers that we can assign to what we've just done, what we've just created, what we've just lost. Um, and so that has the effect of making us feel like success really is black or white, up or down, yeah. when in fact it is, of course, it is not. We all know this. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. And we don't have that lens uh, because it, everything is so quantifiable. Everything can yeah. fit in a spreadsheet and it makes it really hard to have a, a nuanced, holistic, uh, values-driven uh, perspective on success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like, you can't, I, I love, I'm a girl. I love, I'm a girl who loves a good spreadsheet. Like, don't get me wrong. Like <laughs> totally. I love, I love the operations of it. I love the facts of it. I will say like speak in facts to my clients when they're just kind of perseverating on things. I agree with that, but there has to be, like you said, it's not, it's not black and white. Some of it is, but really life itself is not right. There's, there's parts that are parts that aren't most of it's in the gray and if you can't kind of decide which phase that you're kind of floating in, in that moment, that's where you run into to trouble, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this is why I talk about the difference between achievement orientation and yeah. practice orientation, right. because achievement orientation really reflects that super quantifiable perspective on success. So yeah. even if it's not a number, it's other kinds of milestones, right? right. It's right. getting married before age 30. It's having your first kid before age 35. It's getting the promotion by this time. It's getting this salary, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. It's your kids going to a particular type of school, making a particular sports team. It's all all of those things that we check off as milestones, as proof that we're on the right path. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, a lot of us who grew up as pretty anxious overachievers have that I'm, yes. you know, I'm achievement oriented and it, and we wear yeah. it like a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, and it can be, and and it can't yeah. be the only thing. I love achieving things. I love making things. I love uh, stretching myself. And I've found that when I don't put my eye on that achievement, but instead I put my eye on developing a sustainable daily, regular practice right. of something, then I'm a lot happier on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm a lot more satisfied. And I'm also able to better articulate where I do feel like a success in my life, where I do feel like I am living up to my potential without yeah. having to have that achievement, that merit badge to go along with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's coming from the internal, right. Rather than yes. the external, right. Like you're, you're validating your worthiness, you're validating your, your hereness from that feeling of what you're experiencing as you go through the journey, because you know, if you can count on the journey and you can count on kind of those steps that you're taking to achieve it, that you will are, you are automatically growing no matter yes. what, right? As you're moving through processes to achieve, you are growing, you are moving forward. You know, there is that sense of, you know, you, you have it accomplished while you're doing it instead of when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the other things about it, achievement and sort of growth orient or achievement oriented growth yeah. is that it tends to be the kind of growth that drives us apart as human beings, as opposed True. to the kind of growth growth that brings us together, right? So when we're looking at 
achieving things, we're often imagining ourselves on sort of life's ladder, right? So, or the corporate ladder uh, or the entrepreneurial ladder. There's all All sorts of of ladders, all of of the ladders. Um, And so every time you ladder up, you are distancing yourself from other people, right? Yeah. Within that that paradigm, within that framework. Um, And so I would much rather sort of direct and orient my life toward a kind of growth and a kind of practice that helps me connect more with my community, with my family, with my close relationships. Um, And that really requires breaking down the value of achievement in my life. Um, And when achievement happens, cool. When, you know, when I can, when I get a new byline, when the book comes out, when all of these different things, those are great things that I can celebrate and they don't have to be the guiding force in my life in a way that separates me from other people. Yeah. It's almost like you're not climbing the the ladder upwards or downwards. You're going out, right? Or I have friends that say like, I want to go deeper instead of wider or whatever you want to, however you want to say it, right? Because you're exactly right. Like, the reason why these achievements are there is purposely to set us like aside from other people. That's the, that's the whole reason. Like why else like the A students versus the F students, like it's Mm -hmm. a very us versus them. It's a very, we could have a much bigger conversation around society as a whole and the government and all sorts of things, which you talk about in the book too. You know, it is one big, huge practice of them versus us when we can instead just go, oh, all of us together, let's all be, do the human thing and look around at one another and appreciate the skills that everyone brings to the table and move ourselves forward collectively. Crazy thought, right? Crazy thought. (laughs) (laughs) So then talk to me about, you know, we were just kidding around before this, but you know, the new year is coming. Please give me your two cents and all that stuff, friend, because the new year, new you, I feel like it's just another mechanism to divide and to make people feel less than. Yeah, it's completely. And it's a complete perfect segue from what we were just Mm -hmm. talking about. So yes, new year, new you is achievement orientation par excellence, right? It's, it is that idea of, all right, these are the, the rungs on the ladder that I want to climb this year. Um, And one of the things that I talk about in the book is how often the goals that we set as part of that new year, new you, or just new year's resolutions in general, those goals are often about overcoming difference, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm an autistic person. And for my whole life, I have been setting goals that I now recognize Um, We're about overcoming the different ways that I do things than the, say, neurotypical person does. Yeah. Um, And, you know, so it could be a, you know, a disabled person trying to, to, or a chronically ill person trying to live and work the way someone who is not disabled and not chronically ill is, right? And because our society presents these kind of quote unquote normal standards for what productive work looks like, for what productive homework looks like, um, for what productive relationships look like. But normal is a lie and striving towards some ideal of your new year, new you 
persona is largely and most likely papering over differences that you possess that make you who you are and make you truly uniquely valuable in our society. And when we can learn to work within those strengths and frankly, within those boundaries, right? Mm. And recognizing those boundaries, recognizing those limitations and choosing to do something that doesn't look like what everybody else is doing, choosing to do things in the way that works for you, then that gives us a a much more self-affirming way of directing our growth, our exploration, our experimentation on a day-to-day basis. And so for me, that's how I like to approach the new year. What is it that I'm going to explore this year? What is it that I want to put my energy into? And how does that impact and influence all the different corners of my life instead of trying to set a specific goal to run faster, lose weight, make more money, whatever. Yeah. And I think it also, it allows you to have a level of acceptance for who you are too. Yep. Right. It allows you to say, this is who I am instead of this is who I strive to be, because you can't, you can't move forward or up level or whatever you want to call it. If you don't even know where your baseline is and you're not really solid in that baseline. I see it all the time coaching world. There's like a bajillion of us. Um, and I see it all the time with, with coaches who the lead magnets and the do this, and this is how you succeed in business. And this is what you do. And, you know, it took, it took a lot for me to be like, Nope, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. Like, (laughs) you know, and it's very contrary, but I think you're told by society that you're crazy. If you do not fall in line with a lot of this stuff. Right. Yeah. And I am crazy, but not for any of those reasons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, well, oh shoot. I totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. Anyhow, we'll keep going. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but I think, you know, on the topic of crazy, like, I think that is again, just an us versus them label, right? Like you're either, you're either normal or you're crazy, right? You're either normal or you're weird. Or, you know, instead of like, to your point saying, this is the unique set of skills I bring to the table. This is my uniqueness, my creativity, my quirkiness, my whatever it may be. And instead of everyone saying that's fucking amazing, bring it on. They say, hmm, and they bounce it up against some imaginary like litmus test of normalcy, and then they judge you on it, which really fucking sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so this is, you have stumbled on one of my sort of like back of my brain pet projects. Um, I've I've been working on this essay in the back of my head for months now um, about this idea of accepting that I'm crazy uh, because so- story time, uh, <laughs> where I went to high school, uh, it, it was, uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So the capital of Pennsylvania, but it's a, a fairly small city. Um, but what Harrisburg, Pennsylvania has is the Pennsylvania state mental hospital, which is no longer functioning. Hasn't been for a long time, but it's the set of a lot of movies that take place sure, in yeah. mental hospitals or asylums. And so when I was a junior or a senior, I forget which now, somewhere in that time, 16, 17 years old, um, Girl Interrupted was shot in Harrisburg. And actually my boyfriend at the time was an extra in it. And so I, (laughs) while I was watching this movie for the first time, um, I felt a, a real kind of kinship with the women who were institutionalized. 
And not in that I was suffering from the same things that they were, but in a way that I felt like, you know, there's there's a multitude of scenes in the movie where you sort of get the idea of the outside looking in and judging the women who are institutionalized as different, as outside right. of right. the normal. And that felt super familiar to me in a in a profound mental health way, not just in a, you know, I'm worried about people judging me, but in a, in a very specific yeah. profound mental health way. Um, and so I've been thinking about uh, sort of, you know, seeing that movie there, and there were other media as well at the time in the nineties um, where, you know, kind of crazy was positioned as this kind of scary other. And I guess it's always positioned as a scary other. That's not anything unique to the 90s. Right. Um, but I definitely learned a particular lesson from that is that if if I am that, then I'm not right. I'm not okay. I am broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with that then is that I deferred real mental health treatment yes, for years yeah. because I didn't want to admit to being broken in that way. And so, yeah, so the essay idea has to do with like literally identifying with being crazy and yeah. uh, and yeah. using that as a way to say, you know what, there are some very regular things that really trigger me that really can throw me into a complete spiral. And those things have to be either off limits to me yeah. or yeah. they need to be something that I, that I warm up to and then kind of decompress from. Yep. And I need a huge, huge margin around those activities. Um, and coming to terms with that has been really challenging because a lot of the things that are highly triggering for me um, are things that. I should be do, I should quote should. air quotes for yeah. anyone yeah. listening, uh, should be doing to achieve, you know, X, Y, Z level of success. Yeah. And I've had to say, oh no, when I do those things, I get sick. Yeah. And when I don't do those things, and when I focus on the things that make me feel really good, I don't get sick and I can, I will have a different level of success or a different type of success. And you know what? That's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel like what you just described, like so many, so many more people are probably secretly in the same boat as what you just described as they are openly, right? Like there are probably way more things that trigger people if they actually admit it than that don't, you know? So we're, we're in a household over here. I have two, um, let's just say our entire household is not neurotypical. Like we've got ADHD, (laughs) we've got potential autism, we've got bipolar, we've got, we've got all different things, right? So like we are always having conversations about like, well, what's our definition of normal over here? Like what, what are we okay with living with? What do we want to do in this world and how do we want to show up as individuals, as a family unit, whatever that may be. And it's like, the more I dive into that community, the more I'm like, oh, sensory issues. Great example. I'm sorry. The more people I meet, the more people have them. And it's just that they didn't know it was okay to say it because of the stigma like that you just described because of this false norm that we've all been told we need to walk around and mask up against, which is just infuriating on so many levels. Yeah. It's infuriating and it is actively harmful 
right? Yes, we are yes, harming absolutely. ourselves yes. when, when that happens. And I want to clarify too, because I'm not entirely sure that I, I made this clear. When I refer to myself as crazy, I'm not referring to my autism. My autism doesn't right. make me crazy. Right. No. <laughs> um, you know, major slash minor depression. That's what makes me crazy. Yeah. It's not that crazy, but it's still, I'm, but I'm enjoying still, yeah. playing with that identity. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I think, I think something that's really important to me in the conversation around kind of mental health, neurodivergence, all of these different ways that we're discovering difference around us is that I think that there is a lot to be said about the solidarity of recognizing, hey, normal maybe just isn't a thing and that we all are our own brand of different, but then also recognizing that my brand of different is a brand of different that the vast majority of people can never, will never understand. And, you know, I think that we're, we often get quick to kind of say, oh, everybody, oh, the, the autism phrases, right? Well, everyone's a little autistic. It's like, Uh, no, they're not. They're really not. Nope. Nope. (laughs) They're just so not. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I'm grateful for the number of people I now know who are also autistic like me, or also take a lot of depression medication or are on antipsychotics or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, um, I recognize sort of as an, uh, within the autistic community, it's very clear people experience things differently. And so never taking that for granted that just because there is that solidarity of the community that we are living each other's experiences because we're just not. Right. Right. And I think that's where empathy comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Like what happens is you're given this label that does not mean that everybody in that underneath that label is identical, you know, but it does allow you to say, okay, let me be empathetic on this. And let me be empathetic and listen, actively listen and get to know the person sitting across from you so that you can understand that, that individuality even more and appreciate it and respect it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think curiosity is how I really like to talk about it. So, um, you know, my husband and I talk about this a lot. The, the, my autism diagnosis is still pretty fresh. It's been about a year and a half now. Um, and so we're still kind of navigating, like, what are the things he thinks I'm thinking or thinks I'm feeling versus what are the things I'm actually thinking or feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so for both of us, it's a process of saying, okay, instead of assuming, can you be more curious? Can you ask Ask me a question? Like instead of uh, assuming that I'm feeling a certain way because my face is doing something weird, uh, which is what happens to me constantly, um, (laughs) ask me, what is your face doing right now? How are you feeling? Because your face is telling me one thing and I'm not sure that that's accurate. But you you have to have that sort of active curiosity when you are trying to meet someone in that very human to human space. And it's not mm-hmm. something I think that we can maintain all the time because it's a lot of work. But yeah. anytime when we're trying to get closer to someone, when we're trying to you know, bolster that relationship, really coming to it with that act of curiosity and not assuming anything is yeah. so key. Hey, could you imagine if we, if, if assuming wasn't a thing, freaking wars wouldn't have been started. There'd be so much shit that wouldn't have existed in this world. Right. 
But I think to your point also, you know, pulling, pulling a thing out of like the dare to lead Brene Brown area of things like creating the container, like you and your husband, it sounds like you've created the container in which that curiosity can exist. And when he asks you like, Hey, what's going on with your face? You're not like, well, what the fuck do you mean? What's going on with my face? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's not that kind of a container, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good job. That- that wouldn't be a question that I guess that a lot of people would respond positively to, no, but, but I you, respond very but you know positively. What it is. <laughs> yeah. You know what it is. My, I mean, full transparency, I'm bipolar too. And there's times my husband has to ask me questions where he's like, eh, this is going to go well or not go so well. Like, eh, who knows? It's a crapshoot. Right. But mm-hmm. you know, you've created that container and you've done the work behind that. So bravo is what I was getting at with that. <laughs> Um, all right. We could talk all day on this stuff. So brilliant, brilliant conversation. Are there any kind of last pieces that you want people that you want to really drive home with folks? Because there's so much value in everything that you've already said. Hmm. Yeah. I think the, the last piece that I think is always important to talk about and relates to really where we started, um, is understanding how, what we think we should or supposed to to be doing, how we understand that is driven by the influence of the market. And everything that we do has that sort of tinge of market forces to it. Is this this a plus in the profit column? Is this a minus in the loss column? Literally or figuratively, right? We are constantly making those calculations. And within that system, then it's very easy for our values to get hijacked. And so one of the things that I've been really uh, exploring both personally and sort of academically is how do we examine the, the stories in media, the stories that we tell amongst our friends, the stories that we read to notice when a story that's being told about a particular value we hold dear, whether it's sustainability or it's collective action or it's independence, whatever it might be, how is that story being, how is that value being hijacked by the story that we are engaging with in a way that forces us back into that market mentality, into that cost benefit analysis, as opposed to actually allowing us to create an understanding for ourselves of what that value really means to us. And that is just pervasive with all of the material around goal setting, um, where you know, we think that we're setting a goal based on a particular value, but when you unpack the story, you're like, oh, that's, that's not really what freedom means. Or that's, oh, that's not really what care means. Um, and, and I think that is one of the places where a a lot of the stress, the anxiety and the heartache comes from, you know, the ways we think about goal setting now. And that's really one of the big things that I'm hoping to challenge with my work. Nice. Nice. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that you're doing. I think it's a fresh and much needed take on goals and how to approach it. And I really, I really do applaud what you're, what you're doing with the book and stuff. So, um, tell people where they can find you, please restate the title of the book so that they can go pick it up wherever, wherever it's sold. Um, and just let them know how to get you. Yeah. So the book is called what works, 
a comprehensive framework for changing the way we approach goal setting. The subtitle is so long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what happens when you publish a book with a kind of academic press is they give you a very long subtitle. <laughs> Anyhow, it's available wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon, it's a Target, it's on Barnes and Noble, whatever. Um, or you can go to explorewhatworks.com slash book. And I've got all your links in there for wherever you'd prefer to buy it, including your independent bookstore near you. Nice. Um, and then uh, where else you can find me is at explorewhatworks.com. I write a weekly newsletter there and I host the What Works podcast, which you can find wherever you're listening to The Resilient Entrepreneur. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Well, thanks, Michelle. It was wonderful. So one thing I want to point out that you heard Tara do multiple times throughout this episode is put emphasis on the word and, you know, you can be X and Y, you can do A and B, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of this concept of like two things can be true at the same time. Right. So, but she did put an emphasis on that quite a bit in here just to put drive home the fact that you know these these are not just black and white things there are areas of gray and the thing is, is to get curious and to keep talking about it and to get curious with yourself like we talked about in this episode internal versus external kind of validation right are you pursuing the performance based you know criteria for achievement or you know achievement orientation or practice orientation right where are you in that spectrum as well as like, how is your mental health in there? How are you appreciating your uniqueness and letting that shine in your everyday decisions so that you don't have to have this pressure of just falling in line because you're supposed to, right? I think it's very, very important to honor, you know, what your triggers are, what your feelings around a certain situation are and move forward with those. And on our next episode, I am welcoming David Perry to the show. Now, David is the CEO of Caro, which is a new e-commerce partnership network used by over 30,000 Shopify brands. And also he grew up in Northern Ireland during some of the most violent times in the troubles period. And he's just got a really interesting story. He's, you know, sold companies to Sony PlayStation. He's just got a really, really cool journey. So you don't want to miss this episode. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.